Welcome to Wonderment from Wiltshire College and University Centre. Just a note that we are recording this session during lockdown three, so the interview has been conducted remotely. Uh, today we're talking science with Dr. Stuart Faramond. Um, and you might recognise his name, um, Stuart Faramond, or, or the real Dr. Stu, if you follow him on social media. As for the past, past few years, he's been a food scientist on BBC's Inside the Factory. He's also the author of international best-selling books, The Science of Cooking, Science of Spice and Science of Living, and A Self-Confessed Ice Cream Lover. So welcome, Stuart. Thanks a lot, Trudy. Thanks a lot. Yes, the ice cream, that's the most important bit, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought. So, so we just heard a little bit about you and what you're sort of well known for. Um, mm. What people might not know, but we're delighted to share, is that you mm. actually used to work here at Wiltshire College and University Centre. Yeah, absolutely. Wiltshire College is where I discovered my passion for communicating science. Yeah, so I think I was there 2009 to 2011 teaching health and social care. And I did that at Wiltshire College campus in Trowbridge. And also, odd Fridays, I went across to, across to Salisbury as well to teach there. Oh, wow. Okay. Furthest away campus. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I taught health and social care. And I originally, I, I, I trained as a medical doctor. And I was working at birth at the IUH as a as a junior doctor, as one of these doctors that, you know, you see dashing around doing long shifts with the with the bleepers going. Uh, yeah. That was me. And in my third year of doctoring, so as I say, I was at birth at the IUH, I was diagnosed with a brain tumour, um, a brain, a brain cancer. And that was kind of completely out of the blue. I was having some tests for some other things, some hormone problems. And they said, oh, we'll just do a, a, a brain scan just to be on, on the safe side to make sure that your pituitary, which is a little gland right at the bottom of the brain, just check that's nice. okay. And then they scanned and the pituitary was absolutely fine. Uh, then they found that it was a tumour growing elsewhere in the brain, just sort of sitting there silently um, chewing away on my grey matter. So okay. I had to have, um, I had surgery to have it taken out um, and that meant that I had to leave medicine. The reason for that being is that I developed epilepsy after the operation. I had no symptoms at all uh, when I was working. So, but because I developed epilepsy afterwards, and I was suffering with a lot of fatigue from the uh, from the operation, and that when you ever have a big chunk of your brain taken out, basically it takes a toll, and your your tolerance for sort of your energy levels really take a hit. So I tried going back to work, but it didn't really work out, and so I sort of took uh, retirement, I guess, on health grounds at the age of twenty or twenty five, um, and then, but then found Wiltshire College after uh, somebody to do some teaching of health and social care so I said okay I can do I can do that I can do the biology bits if you like I can do the do the, do the science bits and so I started work at Wiltshire College and I worked there for three years and yeah and I loved it I loved it I discovered that the teaching was so much more satisfying believe it or not than doctoring oh, right, because okay. because you see people's you see people's perspectives change you see people grow up so over two years you see a group of mostly girls um go from being being girls who need to ask you whether they can take their pencil case out to be at the end of it you know they're young women and they're going off to, to university or they're going to start a job and on that on that journey i sort of took it upon myself to change their perspective of what they thought science was because typically they'd come from school 
thinking that science was this boring thing. It was an academic yeah. thing, which is why they wanted to come to Wiltshire College to do a vocational course to get away from, you know, conventional school didactic teaching. So my sort of mission was to try to, to sort of change that perspective. And so I just sort of had a lot of fun, had a lot of fun sort of teaching them. And it's those penny dropping moments that you see with people. And... And when people say, you know, I thought your lesson was going to be really boring. And two years later, they say, you know, your your lessons were my favourite lessons. And that's just so rewarding that you've impacted somebody's somebody's life. Yeah, and change so their perception as well. In, absolutely. In, a, in an yeah, industry absolutely. that's it's quite hard to sell sometimes, isn't it? It's, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So, yeah, so and then from that, I sort of sidestepped into doing science writing. Um, I had some opportunities. I sort of started doing a science blog myself and then um, did some side projects from that and then ended up starting a science digital science magazine called Guru Magazine, which I just started that up as a as a project myself with a couple of friends. And we got some funding from the Wellcome Trust, which is a large sort of charitable fund that gives lots of grants away to various worthwhile causes and and health and science projects and things like this uh, and so i at that point i left medicine uh, left, sorry left teaching and went into doing science writing and from there i ended up um, doing bits and pieces on television um yeah i can say you're which... a very busy man i mean on your website you describe yourself as a as a writer presenter doctor and obviously as we know now an educator yeah yeah I guess I mean I don't know I, I think that the general term will be science communicator but a science communicator right. is just this horrible vague term that doesn't really mean anything <laughs> to anybody so just list all the things that you do and, and you can't go far wrong yeah absolutely now do you have a favorite out of any of those I mean I suppose they do that I know they interlap like lap over yeah, I guess, I guess it all one. kind of comes under the science communication banner. But I guess the first proper thing that I did in it was, I think it was around about the time that I was at Wiltshire College, maybe just after I left. And I was found by the producers of a one-off BBC documentary uh, called The Great British Biscuit. And it was headed up by Nigel Slater. And basically it was one of these one-off programmes where they want to fill up an hour of, of cheap TV. So we'll do something. Let, let's look at the uh, the British people's fascination with, with biscuits, digestives, hobnobs and pink wafer and all these things that are very peculiar to British people. And they wanted a science bit. Uh, and they, they found on my blog that I'd written a very tongue-in-cheek um, piece about biscuit dunking the science of biscuit dunking and i did this in wiltshire college one long summer break which as everybody at wiltshire college will know um teachers don't lecturers don't get a break on the summer you have to go to college and you have to do work even when nobody's there um so i was there doing work and on the long uh lunch breaks i just thought i'm gonna you know because it's deadly dull when there's no students there at all uh, i went down to the science lab and borrowed the uh borrowed the wiltshire college a video camera and set myself up and did some really silly tongue-in-cheek experiments with great big uh big conical flasks or oversized conical flasks made of tea and got got all the the clamp stands up and did races of different uh different biscuits being dunked into cups of cups of tea and filmed it and it was all it was all about sort of some light-hearted science um, and I put it up on the blog and they found it and they got in touch oh, with me wow. and said would you come and do a a science bit in the lab of of the science of biscuit dunking and I did uh -huh. that and and it was 
and I, I really enjoyed it. I kind of liked the the buzz of doing stuff on 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 TV, and I still do, and I still love that in in the sense that it's something that gives you an opportunity to reach a much bigger audience. Because I guess the thing that I discovered with teaching in the college was it's this wonderful thing to be able to teach somebody else about about science, um, which is which is the, basically it's I see it as a way to understand the incredibleness of the world around us. You know, the world and life is, a, is an incredible, miraculous thing. And, and science is, is basically our way of sort of unpicking the mystery and finding out uh, how stuff works. Yeah. And so and to sort of convey that to other people is a real privilege. And so things like radio, things like TV are a really great way to sort of reach many more people than you could do standing, standing up in a classroom and more people that you could do by writing, writing a blog piece, for example. So that's um, yeah. so but I, I like I like radio and TV. I really enjoy radio is kind of good fun. It's just you and a and a microphone sat in a sat in a, a radio studio. Um, so that's all kind of fun, but it's all good. It's all good. And, and the writing as well. I mean, that's a completely different thing. Again, a lot of times sitting in front of a screen um, in your thoughts, trying to put words together. So, yeah, I, I feel very privileged to be able to do something, to follow my passion, to do these things and to use, you know, use my background, the, my training and my experiences of teaching in Wiltshire College to sort of springboard me into doing things that I never imagined I would be doing. I imagine I'd be in, a, a, be in the depths of a hospital somewhere or be in a GP surgery by now, working long hours and probably being a bit miserable, to be honest. Yeah, well, and probably very, you know, tired at the moment, particularly. Very, yeah, absolutely. And not <laughs> seeing much of, of my wife. Yeah. So, I mean, were you interested in science and uh, medicine, I suppose, from a young age then? Yes, I was always in, I was always into science, for, probably for the reasons that I've explained just just then. Uh, yeah, I just I just found it really interesting, like how basically how stuff works. You know, I mean, a lot of kids kind of quite enjoy taking things apart to find out how they work. I was never really one of those people, one of those kids, but I did like finding out about, you know, why is it that our bodies work? What's inside of us, you know, going into space uh all, all these things and you know all the things that you know that excite kids uh yeah, I, it was just about finding those things out I was a yes yeah, so I, I loved science and I guess going into medicine it was a sort of a it it was sort of a logical uh progression on from doing well at school and doing science and getting good grades uh and I didn't even do biology when I was doing a did a levels I did uh math physics um chemistry and further maths um, and then, but because you don't, you, you don't, I don't think you still do. I don't think you need biology to get to medicine, but it was a, you know, it's a, it's the thing that uses your brain. It's a sort of a highly esteemed career. Um, it's just something that's worthwhile. You can help lots of other people. So I sort of went into medicine and I would say, to be honest, that when you get to the other end of it, when you've been squeezed through the tube, like a sausage and you come out the other end shaped like a doctor, um, <laughs> It's actually a very different place to to the to the glamorous ideal that you get, and I think probably people are more aware of that now with the you know the fly on the wall documentaries, and you see yeah, what it's absolutely. really like inside hospitals. Um, so yeah, yeah. Sort of, yeah, the twenty four hours in in A and E and all those sort of things. <laughs> yeah, actually, A and E was one of my favourite places. I I really liked A and E. 
Uh, and that's probably because I don't have a very long attention span. And with A&E, um, you, you treat people, you get it sorted, and then they go and it's done. Whereas in, whereas in a hospital, when somebody comes in, you have to you spend uh, 40 minutes, an hour talking with them, doing blood tests, then you spend another half an hour writing that up in notes. And then you go off, have get all the tests sorted out, and then you come back and check the tests. And then you liaise with other doctors and you're, you're a little cog in this huge machine. Um, and, you know, you can spend two hours on one, on one, one person. You barely sort of scratch the surface of what's going on. Whereas in A&E, you know, somebody comes in, they've got, they've, they've had an accident, they've cracked their, their head open, they need stitching up. You see them, you know, you, you clean them up, you, you sew them up and you send them on the way. And it's great. You see, there's very, very satisfying and you get to see lots of obviously different things as well, don't you? Lots of people, yeah. Lots of people, all walks of life walking through any. So yeah, it's yeah. yeah and, and everything, you know, everything that could possibly bruise, damaged, injured, um, inside and out, will will walk into any, or somebody with we'll that will walk into any. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so so we know you've published three books um, mm. related to sort of the relationship between science and food. Um, mm. So we've got the your third book, The Science of Living. Is described as a ground groundbreaking book in which long-held beliefs are exploded by new science. Can you give us an example of that or something that's in the book? Yeah, sure. So the book is it was kind of birthed from from they kind of came to me and said. So I did the science of cooking. They they wanted they came up they wanted somebody to write the book. So they but the head of the department had long had this idea of I'd love to do a, a book all about the science of cooking and and they said they'd never been able to find the right person to do it and they obviously spotted me and and they said we've got this book the science of cooking would you be interested in writing it and I sort of bit the hand off really in the sense that I remember at university I was I got quite into watching uh, food programs. And there's one program that looked at that looked a little bit at the science of cooking, uh, something called like the truth about uh, food or something. It was an open university um, little Saturday, uh, little short little program, and it really piqued my interest in in sort of food and food science. So I long had this, and even back then I I started making some collections of newspaper cuttings and things that I found interesting about about the science of cooking and the science of food and so when they approached me it just sort of really resonated with me um so I I did that with them I found a you got hold of a book agent for me so he could negotiate the contract and the terms and all that sort of stuff and it did really well it was sort of a runaway success um I was on ended up being on um this morning on television and on uh, where else was I on? Yeah, on, on TV and on on the Chris Evans Breakfast Show, talking all about it, and it sort of went right to the top of the Amazon charts. I think on after I just got off the telly, it went up to on number two on the Amazon charts, and so basically it it, it sold out and it did really well. And so off the back of that, they came back and said we'd like to write this. We'd like to do another one, and they said mm-hmm. and they said well you know what about spice? Can we do something with that? So we did the science of spice, which again is quite a different beast. You know, it's more of a more of a foodies book. It, it uses by so it's all about using science to explain the spices that we have and why certain spices go together and what is it that gives spices their flavors. And it's basically cataloging 
all I wouldn't say all the spices, but a heck of a lot of the spices. And I put together a whole periodic table of spices and wow. grouped them into the different the different flavors that they have based on the flavor compounds that are in them. And the flavor compounds are the substances in food that give them their flavor. And so by by huge amounts of research, I found out in all the different spices, what are the flavor compounds in these spices that give them their unique characteristics? Catalogued them all and then found out that there were common themes uh, and sort of put them into, into this sort of this periodic table and tied it in with a, a branch of food science called flavor pairing science. And that's all about working out why certain ingredients go well together. So we know, for example, um, tomato, uh, basil and mozzarella, for example, are three things that go together well. You see it a lot in Italian cooking. And they have found out in recent years, the reason why foods go together is because they share flavor compounds. So even ah. though a tomato is a fruit, basil is a leaf, and mozzarella is a, a part fermented dairy product, they're completely different things. Uh, they actually, there are for whatever reason, there's some crossover in the flavor compounds that they share. And, because, and those crossovers mean that those foods harmonize together very well, even if you might not expect it. And by, and by going in the other way, so if you look at foods, you look at ingredients that have, and you, you catalog the flavor compounds in them, you can, you can then work out what, what combinations go together well. And so you can do this, chefs do this, there, there are sort of, there are websites and things and databases that you can use to come up with interesting combinations. So for example, strawberries, chocolate, basil and parmesan, believe it or not, go together quite well. <laughs> and which you never would have thought of, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try actually, but, and, and I expect yeah, I that it so. probably will work. Um, and so using, but using that principle into into spices and so you know you create spice blends and the first half of the book is all about the different regions the different spice um uh palettes that use in different parts of the world and there's maps all about how you know the history of spices and the spice trades and and the wars that were fought over spices and all this sort of so it's a sort of an encyclopedic uh, yeah, book wow. and it's and that's done really well i mean it's been translated into probably about a dozen languages now and I just, I just, just today got the Korean version has come through. So oh, I've, wow. I, I say to them, whenever you, whenever a new sort of uh, international version is made, can you, can you send them to me? So, and both that and the science of cooking have been sort of translated into lots of different languages. They're all sitting on my, on my shelf, the ones that I've managed to get hold of. So I've got sort of Korean and a Japanese science of cooking. And so, yeah, they've just done really well. And, and after that, they came back to me and said, um, you know, we like how you're writing, uh, you know, you've got a really nice sort of style, um, rather than us come up with an idea, what is it that you'd want to write about? So I said, actually, I like to, you know, <laughs> not narrow myself down, I like to step away from cooking and actually yeah. do a more sort of bigger picture thing. And, and so I said, why can't we do a, a science book, a popular science book, as in a book that is easy for anybody to understand? all about all the stuff in our life, in our day. Um, all those questions that we have, you know, like you read it in the sort of the Daily Mail columns of yeah. all the clickbait articles, you're drinking coffee at the wrong time of the day. Here's yeah. what you should be doing, dot, dot, dot. And you read those articles and they're all really interesting. A lot of the time they're, they're a load of bunkum, um, 
But I was like, can we answer all these really interesting questions and put them into a book? And so that was that was that was the kind of the premise of the book. And so I thought I came up with the idea of can we go through a person's day? And so we lay the book out. So we work through the day, almost like you're working through a clock throughout the day. And so that's what we did. We've got it split into morning, afternoon, evening and night. And, you know, it starts off with, you know, why do I find why is it so hard? Why do I find getting up so hard in the morning? It goes on to why can't I remember my dreams? Should I brush my teeth before or after I've had breakfast? Is breakfast mm-hmm. the most important meal of the day? When's the, when, when's the best time to have my first coffee? Working all the way through your day, we, you know, in terms of a look at road rage, commuting, you know, what's the best way to commute to work, your workspace, um, you know, the ideal workspace for productivity, plants in the office, air conditioning, basically all these things that you have those, those, oh, I wonder why questions. And so yeah. every time I thought of one, I, I wrote it down and basically, and so I, I researched it and uh, contacted when I, when I couldn't research the answer fully, I get in touch with sort of various experts and professors from around the world and get them on a phone call or on zoom and pick their brains. So I can, so for each question I'd have those sort of authoritative science behind it. And so that it took me about 18 months in the end to do it, which was interspersed, unfortunately, with a relapse in my brain tumour. So in the middle of that, it was uh, 18 months ago now, I needed to have a major brain surgery and then followed by radiotherapy and chemotherapy. Chemotherapy finished about four months ago now. Um, So it was 12 months of chemotherapy, which finished about, as I say, four or five months ago now. Um, and it's still nice, to be honest, just not to be, have to have this monthly cycle of feeling awful every month. Yeah, um, so, yeah, but the publisher, DK Books, you know, Dorling Kindersley, as they used to be known, um, they've sort of stood by me, been fantastic, really. And so when I was, you know, I had to basically sort of, I mean, it didn't completely stop working because it kind of kept me going when I was in recovery and stuff just to sort of do bits of work. Uh, but basically had to stop whilst I was having all this treatment. And they just said, look, you know, the book will get written when the book gets written. Just take your time. We, you know, don't worry about the deadline. We'll just, you know, whenever it gets written, we'll whenever publish it. Sort of and yeah. so just amazing. And, oh, you know, and, and to be honest, the fact that, you know, you've got a book published with your name on it and I've got three of them now and they've all sold really well. And, you know, there's thousands of people that have bought it and I get lovely messages from them saying things like, you know, the science of living, some wonderful messages about people saying how it's really touched them and how it's changed their life. And, you know, and from the cooking one, when people just, you know, it changes their life in a positive way. And to be honest, there's not much more from from life that you want that, that you can expect than to actually change other people in a positive way. So, yeah, so I feel very honoured and privileged to be doing to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, wow, well, amazing. I've seen, I mean, I've lots, seen lots of reviews for the book, all of the books, and they're all, you know, really positive. I you know, mm. personally think they're extremely interesting, all of them, for diff- the, the, you know, all the separate subjects. On, I think they'd all be fascinating to read. <laughs> mm. uh, so, um, so obviously you sort of touched there, well, you talk to us quite openly, and, and you do seem to talk quite openly about the brain tumour that you've had. Mm. Um, um, and I wasn't quite obviously aware that you'd been through that again. So, uh, you know, sort of thank you for talking to us about that because I d- didn't realise that. Um, I mean, you sort of mentioned your story as inspirational to others, I think, because mm. you talk about it. So ha- have mm. people sort of been contacting you again and, and do they contact you for advice? 
Yeah, I do sometimes because I have shared my 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 brain tumor story and and the story, you know, it's a part of me and I do people find it really inspirational and I'm very open in in the science of living. I write about it uh in the book about how, you know, when when we come face to face with the fact that all of us will die that are in our existences but a grain of sand in the infinity of time that it puts everything in perspective and we actually really appreciate what life is and make the most of it because that's my that's my personal journey and and you know and I think it's true I think that unless you realize that we have this one life and it's a very temporary thing that we don't actually take things we don't actually make the best decisions so you know and so if I can share what i've discovered with other people then you know all the better for it so yeah, i i more than happy to sort of share my share my story and especially in the last 18 months i've um, been through i mean and my family especially been through a hell of a lot with with it with all that i've been through with it it's because essentially the brain tumor i was being monitored after the first operation i had a, a second operation about 18 months after that because i was suffering very bad with epilepsy and they scanned me and they thought that there might have been a bit of tumor growing back so they went in for another operation to basically chop out a bit more um to cut a, a larger margin around the, the the cavity where the tumor was um and then they've been monitoring me every six months ever since and unfortunately it started growing back about four or five years ago but because they've been scanning it every six months they basically hadn't seen that it had been growing back and it had been getting quite big and again i was completely unaware of it all so when it, this all came out in the wash um uh i needed to have quite uh aggressive surgery so quite a large chunk of my brain had to be taken out to basically get as much of the cancer out as possible and then follow it up with some with you know with radiotherapy and th chemotherapy in the hope of of getting th the rest of it i mean in reality i'm told that you never really get all of it out you can't ever completely get rid of it and so i will forever now be living in the shadow of as i've known this all along of yeah. this tumor that will that that they tell me will come back at some point although there are some people who defy the odds and so i'm doing everything i can to be that that two percent of people who just carry on living yeah. So, but yeah, this, that's my story. I'm more than happy to share it. It's you know, it's yeah. If, if, if I mean, it helps that's anybody, some of that's then that's all been good. during lockdown as well. That must have been tough on on well on you and and your family as well. Yeah, but I would say that when I've been doing the whole chemotherapy thing, I didn't find the whole had to do the shielding thing. But to be honest, it wasn't so bad because you know you're kind of used to it and you mm. kind of think well, what's that you know you're used to sort of having to not go out and you know feeling a bit crap um that you actually you know i kind of i think i was kind of well prepared for it so yeah. i couldn't see why everybody was so kind of upset about not going out i was like you know i'm not going out anyway so i'm not going um, out anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so Aww. it doesn't doesn't seem to bother me so much but but no but you're right it's i'm pleased that it was the end of my treatment when we went into a whole lockdown Think it would have been horrendous had i been going, trying to go through the all the radiotherapy and the surgery in the middle of in the middle of all of this so yeah i managed to get it out of the way before the uh before the covid hit well i'm glad you know i'm glad you obviously you've had your treatment and you're fit you're well feeling and and are much better mm. um so yeah i'm really really pleased about that for you um I, you, you know i was going to sort of have a chat with you a little bit about you know if the lockdown affected your workload um 
a bit. I suppose you obviously weren't doing some of that anyway. I mean, what what what's coming up? What's next? What would you like to do? Have you got any plans for for what's coming next in terms? Of yeah, work? I mean, the TV stuff kind of comes and goes every now and then. Typically, um, that inside the factory, they'll get in touch with me when there's another thing coming up that they want me to do the 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 food sciencey bit for. Yeah. Um, and I really love that. So Cherry, Cherry Healy, the sort of who's the the co who's the kind of the, one of the co-hosts with yeah. uh, Greg Wallace. So I always do my bit with her. Greg's in the factory, um, getting all excited about machines with big buttons. <laughs> um, and I tell you what, when you see all the times he's done that, you realise how a professional he is in the fact that every time he's seen those machines, you know, yeah, the crisp, the crisp fa- they're all exactly the same. But every time he goes, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Can I push the button? And yeah. I've never seen something stir like that. Every time he's so excited. And... And if you hadn't seen hadn't seen more of them, you wouldn't realise that this really wasn't the first time he hadn't seen no. this great big machine that, that that mixes flour or dough or something. Um, but I'm always I always do the thing with cherry on the side. I'm, I'm the kind of the, the amusing side bits of let's go off and um, you know I wonder how I how to avoid getting a soggy bottom on my pie. I th- I know somebody <laughs> who will know the answer to this. I'm going to yeah. chat with Doctor Stu, and so we'll do some, we'll do a fun experiment on how to avoid a soggy bottom on your pie. And so I'll go through all the science of it, and we'll do some experiments and show how to do it and how not to do it, and explain the principles behind it. And that's it's just, it's just really good fun. It's just, we just have a real laugh. Uh, it's, it's it's a whole day's filming for about a little five minute segment, and that's just what it takes with when you're doing TV stuff. It's just a huge time consuming thing, recording in every every possible angle possible, and the number of slip ups that you have and you just end up saying the same thing 15 times and yeah. two in hysterics doing it but yeah so but I love doing that but in terms of but that most of that stuff's all kind of pretty much dried up now because there's not a lot of filming going on there's little bits and pieces I did one in lockdown for it was a spin-off of inside the factory it was a sort of a, a thing that they fit that they did for the Smithsonian channel oh, okay. and it was they basically piece together all bits of Greg looking at going to different machines and made a whole separate show of it with with talking heads who go who'd explain a bit more about the machines so they'd have one all about snack machines and various people you know I was the food science expert and there were other um, people experts in in machinery and things and and we'd all talk a little bit about in, in front of a green screen if we'd pop up and say oh well this does this because of this and sort yeah. of pad out this whole show so that was the bit that's that's probably the only uh proper bit of tv stuff that i've done over lockdown but yeah so i'm for the future um working on doing a podcast of a spin-off from the science of living book so we're hopefully going to be doing starting recording for that later this month um and i'm doing some online lectures and things again off the back of the science of living uh one with i think bbc science focus magazine uh we're still awaiting a date on that and there's another one that i'm looking to do with um a simon sinek which he's a big american um silicon valley person who's got a whole brand in sort of um self-help management improvement stuff and so they've got in touch with me and asked me if i'll do a a sort of a an online webinar lecture thing all about all about you know like science of living book and insights from that so so there are a couple of things coming up but um if you know and i'm going to be chatting with dk uh books about book number four uh that'll be that'll be uh later this week so that'll be quite exciting that's exciting 
So what's this space? Yeah. (laughs) Book number four. Book number four, yeah. So then finally, we've got to talk about ice cream. Yes. (laughs) Very important part of your life and important in general, I think. I think it should be a food group in its own right. (laughs) Uh, Favourite flavour? I'm a bit of a chocolate fiend, so anything with chocolate in. So the more chocolate, the better. Um, My, I always used to be um, Ben and Jerry's fish food. Although, to be honest, I've kind of, I've kind of gone... I've, I've reached maximum on fish food um, because it gets a bit too much after it. But you realise that actually there's not much ice cream in there. It's mostly all chocolate goo and chocolate bits. But mm. yes, anything chocolatey, although I do love a Magnum. There's something about a Magnum that is that is fantastic. But, you know, if it's ice cream, then I'm happy. It's rather special. Yeah, we couldn't share a tub then because chocolate's my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> anything chocolate. <laughs> and we'll I did like tub. the fish food one. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a tub each. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. I mean, it really has been wonderful to talk to you and, and you know, for sharing different things with us and, and nice. finding out a bit more about your life when you were at the college um, as well. So thank you very much, Stuart. Pleasure. Nice to chat with you, Trudy. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, and stay tuned for our next podcast, which is free to download and to listen to.